Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online too. We kicked off this series last week called First Things First because the reality is when we get the things first in our life that should be first, everything else that follows that will be better, right? When we get the things that are first in our life first, the things follow after that will be better. And so last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talked about worry. In fact, he was talking to an audience who had a lot to worry about because life expectancy was 30, dollar a day, famine, disease, Roman Empire. And so they were stressing out. They were no different than us uh, over stressing out about different things, material things, health things, family things, future things. And God said, hey, look at the birds. They don't worry. Look at the lilies. They don't worry. And you shouldn't either. But how we get over that is we need to seek him first. If we seek him first and his right standing or his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. I thought about the sermon last week. I should have mentioned, like, I think all of us, when it comes to worry, we have advanced degrees, don't we? Like every single one of us has either masters or PhDs in worry. And it resonated with so many of us, myself included. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube or Facebook because it all builds together. And I think, honestly, if we can get this first things first thing figured out or at least get closer to it than we were before. It's not only going to help with worry, but it's going to help with a lot of other things in life. And so here we are week two, as we continue with this series, First Things First. There was a guy who had taken a six-month course in driving an 18-wheeler. He had finished all the classes for it, all the training for it, for a, for a CDL. The last step was to be put in front of a group, a panel, they would ask a question of a scenario, and he, he would have to respond of how he would handle that scenario. And so he's in front of them, and they ask him this question, or they paint this scenario. They say, okay, you're going to be, you're in your 18-wheeler, you're going down a mountain. As you're going down the mountain, to your right, and if you're a visual person, you can visualize this with me, to your right is a 300-foot wall, to your left is a cliff. Got it? Cliff to the left, huge wall to the right. You're going downhill. In front of you is another 18-wheeler, and it's going really slow. It's going so slow that you decide you need to pass it. So you, as you go to pass it, coming around the bend, coming up the mountain, is another 18-wheeler. And to make matters worse, as you're going around to pass it, a car comes passing up behind or around the 18-wheeler coming up the mountain. And in that instance, with three 18-wheelers, one car, you hit the brakes and they don't work. What would you do? The gentleman sat there for a few moments, he thought, and he scratched his chin and he scratched his head. And he said, you know, I would wake up Leroy. <laughs> and there, <laughs> okay, didn't see that one. Okay, well, who's Leroy? Well, Leroy is my backup driver and he's sleeping in the back. Okay, well, well, sir, why would you wake up Leroy, your backup driver? Without much hesitation, he said, well, you got to know this about Leroy. Leroy is from a really small town in Georgia, and Leroy's never seen an accident like the one he's just going to see in a few moments. <laughs> Some of us, when we think about our finances, or we think about debt, or the debt that we have, we feel like the scenario that Leroy is going to witness it is a three semi truck plus a car plus a few other things and a cliff and a wall all coming to a head at once. 
And you're here today and your, your debt is a lot more than what your budget is and you have credit, maybe it's on credit cards or maybe it's school loans or maybe it's mortgage. By the way, there will be no raising of hands or asking for raising of hands in the service so you can rest at that. Because I think all of us, just like worry, uh, we've all probably have experienced some level of debt. And I understand we could get in that discussion about investing and versus debt and all that. And I'll hit on that a little bit. But the bottom line is if you owe something, you have debt. Can we all agree on that? If you owe something to the bank or to someone else, that is, I think we could all probably land on that. That's a pretty good definition of debt. I did some research of seeing, well, what's the debt situation in the United States? What's it look like when it comes to student loans? What's it come look like when it comes to car loans and that? And I found out as I researched that no one has debt. No, just kidding, okay? <laughs> right? it's, it's pretty pervasive. In fact, the average school loan debt is around 40000 And you're like, oh, I thought it'd be higher than that. Well, that's public school loan. Private school loans are in the low 60s. Again, this is average. So if someone has zero, that means someone else has 120 or at least around 100. The average car loan is, uh, is around 21 to 22000 and that was pretty accurate. I mean, but it's gone up substantially probably even as I talk. Um, the average credit card debt was on average around $5,000. Uh, I didn't even find medical debt. And I know that's, that's something that some of us deal with. Um, and they didn't even have a number for that because it was just like, well, they had just averages and all kinds of things. The consumer debt in America, the household consumer debt, you add it all up and that includes mortgages for all is $14 trillion, $14 trillion in the United States. I'm probably fairly confident in saying that there's some of us listening today or online watching or listening who are, we're in a, we're in a crunch right now. Maybe you're not sleeping great because of debt. Uh, you're anxious about the future because of debt. In some cases, maybe you don't have debt yet, but you're looking at school or you're looking at the car is only going to last so much longer or the kids are only going to fit in the house. They're going to get bigger, they say, as they get older. And maybe there's going to be more bodies or more square foot of bodies than there is square foot of house. And you're considering what's this look like. This is something I've been on this journey. I'm going to share my journey and Jess and I's journey in a little bit. But I want you today to... To understand this, that, that number one, I want to come with this with compassion um, because some of you, you're in this situation of debt because you thought you'd be okay getting paying it off, but then you lost a job or you, 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 a divorce happened or a death happened. Uh, others were, you're, you're trying to make the right decision. You're younger, you didn't know any better. Uh, and you just kind of went with it. And now you're like, man, and I, part of today is I'm even talking to my younger self. Um, of saying, you know, maybe I could have done a few things differently, or not maybe, <laughs> I would have done a few things differently. I would have uh, waited on certain things. I would have not um, thought I could pay it off. I, I just didn't know what I didn't know in some cases. You know, that's always dangerous territory. But more than anything else, what I want you to hear today is when it comes to this topic of debt, it's bigger than just money. In fact, when God looks, at, when we look at God's heart for this and when we seek after him, we find out that it's just one other thing in the bigger picture that God desires freedom for us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? 
that God actually desires you to experience freedom. He wants you to have freedom from sin. He wants you to have freedom from addiction. He wants you to have freedom from worry. He wants you to have freedom from anxiety. He wants you to have freedom from depression. He wants you to have freedom from your fear of the future. And because he's a really good dad, he cares about money too, and he wants you to have freedom for that. In fact, um, Jesus had about 34 parables. I didn't do the math, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. You can fact check me later, but it's, it's something like that. And just under half of his parables dealt with money or stuff. In fact, on debt, uh, there's one, roughly 100 verses in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that deal somehow with debt or with saving or something in that category. So I always tell people, based on how Jesus, and if you look at Jesus's ministry here on earth, if he was your pastor, he would preach on money 50% of the time. Aren't you glad that well, I don't know if you're glad. I don't know. You probably want Jesus as your pastor. I would, but I'm, I'm not that. But I think this is something that we need to lean into because if we figure this out, if we get first things first when it comes to finances, in fact, it starts with what we talked about last week. When we get things first things first with God and pursuing him and wanting more of him in our life and wanting to hear from him and wanting his direction on things and seeking his wisdom and seeking his counsel and seeking his discernment, then the other stuff will take care of itself. But if you're like me, you've made decisions. You ever do this? You make a decision and he already did it, and then you ask God to stamp it with approval. Like, you ever do that? Like, I just did it. I don't know if you did, but I've done it, where I'm like, okay, I did this. I bought this. I I decided this. Oh, uh, God, are you good with that? Well, I guess he didn't strike me dead, so I guess he's good with that, right? What we want to do is shift that thinking to let's pursue God. Let's get his counsel first. Let's get his insight. Let's see what he has to say, and that's not just, that could be also being in communion with others who speak truth in our life, and then let's go forward with the decision. So it's all about freedom. I'd be a hypocrite today to say that debt is wrong. In fact, debt is not a sin. I'd be a hypocrite because I have a house mortgage. So I can't stand up here and say, you know, but I would, if I was talking to my younger self, as I said earlier, I would have done some stuff differently. And then as I gotten older, and I look at how they structure that mortgage. I'm like, apparently I pay a lot of interest. You ever see banks closing? Very seldom do you see banks. I mean, it's like here in Troy, I see banks opening every day. And when you see um, this, like the five-story buildings that say, I'm not going to name banks, but you know, different names of banks. I'm like, apparently they're not losing money. Okay. But I am. So what's going on here? So the Bible is not silent on this. God is not silent on this because he wants the best for us. Do you believe that? He wants the best for you. He wants the best for me. And he really wants us to experience freedom in this area. There's a verse in scripture. It's in, it's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 22, verse 7. Maybe some of you have heard this before. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower doesn't have to listen to the lender. Oh, wrong. Okay. The borrower is what? servant to the lender. In other words, if you owe someone money or you owe some entity money, you are under bondage to them. I've had, and I'll get into our student loan situation in a bit, but I'll preface it. We've had, we had a lot of student loans. We also moved like three or four times our first year of marriage. They always found me. I moved to three different, not to avoid them, but we moved to three different states. And every single time, they found me. I didn't tell them where I was moving. I wasn't really, I didn't like, okay, we got to notify our family we're moving to South Carolina. I got to notify Sally May and Freddie May. No, I'm like, no, okay. But they find me. Isn't that true? Like any of you, right? I'm not, again, I don't encourage you to run from them or hide. That's, we don't want to do a legal thing. But I'm just saying, they will find you. You are under their authority and they will track you down. I, it's, like, it's like taken. I will find you. And I, well, they wanna, I will get you money. They won't kill you, but I will find you, right? That's how it kind of works, right? 
the, that's what Jess says. Don't say everything that comes to your mind, but I do it anyhow. <laughs> Here's two things I want to talk about debt. Two things that maybe we don't think about debt through this context. And I want to give us hope because <laughs> some of you are like, man, all right now I just feel like, just, thanks for bringing that to my attention. And actually, I forgot I had that debt. Okay? I want to give you hope on what scripture has to say about hope. The first thing I've learned about debt is debt by its very nature is restrictive. Debt by its very nature is restrictive. And here's what I mean by that. It restricts us from having joy in our life. Anyone here be like, hey, jump up and down and be like, yes, thank goodness I have that $5,000 of credit card debt. So awesome. Yes. Now, if you had 10 before, you're happy about five. But typically, we're in, no one's joyful about that. I don't ever see, I, I've never had a conversation with someone who has like a grin ear to ear because they have debt. If you do, we probably need to talk about delusion and some of that kind of stuff, right? It, it, it restricts us from having joy. It restricts us from being generous. I know in our life, when we were burdened by a lot of debt, it was very hard to be generous because anything extra you were getting in, you wanted to pay off the debt because before you're just paying off the interest, frankly. So you want to start paying off the debt. And it can really keep you from being generous. The other thing is it's very restrictive because it, it, it keeps us from doing what God wants us to do sometimes, Right? Where we, we were like, I don't know if I can change this. I don't know if I can follow. I know God's nudging me to do this, but I, I, I just can't do it. I financially can't do it. I, I, I'm not in a position. I have this debt or I, have, I don't have this savings. We could add savings into that too, but I want to stick on debt. I mean, that's right. I mean, there's, if, we, if we are bond, under bondage with this, because that's the opposite of freedom, right? Bondage. If we're under bondage with this, we are going to restrict the things that God wants to do in and through our lives because we just financially can't do it. And Jess and I talk about that a lot. I want to be able to say whatever, yes to God. I want to be able to say yes to God now. I want to be able to say yes to God when I'm 50 or 60 or 70. But if I'm, if I'm still under this bondage of debt, and I, and I will add, if I haven't saved accordingly, because that's very biblical too, then I can't be open. It's restrictive. It's joy, generosity, answering to God's call. And I could pass a mic around here and we could add another 30 things to the list, right? Of how debt by its very nature as restrictive. The second thing is about debt is it's most often an internal problem. Now, we've probably never thought about it this way because we always see it through, I got this statement, it says I owe $1,000. I got this mortgage statement. I got the, or it's a check we write, or it's a money that comes out of our account. We always look at it through the external lens. And I want to challenge us to maybe think a little bit differently today, or God, maybe renew our mind with this, that debt by its nature is an internal problem. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times we get in debt because we want to keep up with the person next to us, right? I don't know what the latest iPhone is. I guessed it's iPhone 15 for service and people acted like I wasn't too far off, okay? So I don't know where it is, but you know, you know how it is, right? If you're one iPhone away or two iPhones away or whatever, you're like, man, I, I'm missing out. The camera's better. I see the picture on Facebook. I'm like, man, that is such great. I don't even know what the word is, pixels or resolution, okay? It looks better. <laughs> it just looks better. I'm like, I don't want everyone to see my wrinkles. So I'm good with my phone. Okay. Right. Right. But we just, it's part of that internal issue is that we look, right. We do the comparison trap. Well, man, I, I wish I had a newer car or I, I, I want to get this done or I want to get that added on. Right. And that internally, because we aren't satisfied, we aren't content, right. We aren't content with what we have. It can get us in trouble. Another internal issue is that it is a self-control issue, right? That's an internal thing. In fact, it says here in Proverbs, it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or a woman who lacks self-control. Now, contextually, we're like, well, 
I don't, we don't have walls around Troy. I'm, now, contextually, a wall, the cities in ancient times and biblical times always had walls around them. That wall was, that's a, that was a protection. They didn't have all the, all the military features we have now. That wall served as protection. That gave them status. That gave them, that gave them a lot of, of power and influence. But the biggest thing was it was about protection. That's why you see in Nehemiah that Nehemiah finds out the walls of Jerusalem are, are still broken after 100 years. And his heart is broken over that. So that is saying here, the, the reader who would have heard this in the first century or even prior to the first century would have said, wow, like that's about a huge slam. If you don't have walls and lack self-control, self-control or lack thereof can get us all in trouble, hasn't it? Guilty three or four times today, maybe, right? And what's the, so how do we get this? Where where does self-control come from? Well, I got to just read some books on self-control and then I'll have it. I just got to mind over matter self-control. I just got to like fight it a little bit now. That might work for a little bit, but I don't know about you. I always fall prey to the temptation, in this case, buying things or whatever. The scriptures say this, actually in Galatians, it says this. It says, when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and say it out loud and loudly, self-control. It's an internal issue. The Spirit, if we're not controlled by the Spirit, we're going to lack self-control in every area of our life, but in finances is not excluded from that. And so as we're looking at this, I just want to, when we talk about this, it's an internal issue. This is something you and I, we can't, blame ex, we can't blame the commercials. We can't blame the neighbor. It's not the neighbor's fault. They got a nicer car. Don't blame them. We got to own that. And we got to have self-control over that. But we also have to realize that this is a really restrictive thing. And one of the things that I want for you as your pastor, I don't want you to miss out on anything God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to miss out on anything that he's calling you to do, any opportunities that exist. And I've been on this earth long enough and I've experienced it myself that debt can be one of the things, money in general, but debt in particular can be one of the things that keeps us from answering the call. It keeps us from helping others. It It keeps us from our heart expanding. Because debt can actually constrict our heart. We get bitter, we get frustrated, we get you know, worrisome and anxious and all those kind of things. And so whether you're here today and you are in a situation that seems overwhelming, or maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 20 years old, I don't have any debt yet. Well, I want you to keep it that way. And so you need to listen. I remember before I was married, I sometimes would tune out during marriage sermons because I'm like, ah, it's not applicable. And then finally the Holy Spirit said, someday someone might in a moment of weakness actually say yes if you ask them, okay? And so um, you might want to pay attention. So I just want to give you that too. If you're here today and you're like, well, this isn't really applicable to my life yet, you're going to have have plenty of opportunity to get in debt. There's good news for you if you so choose. And my prayer would be, if I I can't speak to me 20 years earlier, but I can speak to you, or uh, I would encourage you to really take this to heart and, um, and allow God to guide your decisions and then kind of see where things go. All right, so I'm going to have an interesting passage today that we're going to look at. I don't have it on the screen, but some advice. You're like, okay, so how do I do this? Where do I start, Mark? What, what do I do about this? How do I keep from getting into debt? How do I get out of debt? How do I make sure? I have a very unique passage, a very interesting guy, a very interesting situation that you, on the surface, seems like, what's this have to do about debt? But just hang with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, 
We're going to start in verse 1. It's on page 849. If you have the Bibles in your row, which is always great. I always love to have the Bible in hand or on the phone. Uh, page 848. Um, and if you're on with us online, maybe they'll send you a link to one of our Bible apps or you could grab a Bible or Google it. Um, Luke chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. So here's, here's the story. Jesus is telling one of his parables. So this falls in that percentage of the just about 50% that deals with money and stuff and possessions. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So again, picture this rich guy. He's got a manager. The manager wasted the possessions of the rich guy. So the rich guy, so he calls him in and he asks him, hey, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. AKA, hey, I need you to meet me in the office. I just want to talk to you about something. And you walk out of there. Yeah, you're fired. Okay, you get the pink slip. That's what's going on here. So the manager said to himself, because now he's going to be unemployed, what shall I do now? That's a really good question to ask, right? Some of us have been there. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I just love his, he's just straight up. Like, I can't, I can't dig. I can't do manual labor and I'm not, I'm just not going to beg. Okay. So he says, here, I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. In other words, I'm going to figure out some way to have a future employment. I got family to feed maybe, but I definitely got myself to feed. So he says he called in one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, well, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, well, hey, take your bill, sit down quickly, and let's make it 450. Okay, not a bad deal. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? I owe a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Well, then he told him, how about we take the bill and we make it 800? It doesn't say this, but I'm sure the guy said, yep, sounds good to me. And then in verse eight, it says, the master, com now this is what's fascinating. Because you're like, that's not cool. Like, you know, like he kind of was ripping off his, his master. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And we can stop there. He commended it because he acted shrewdly. Now, I didn't say he kept his job. He just only left it. But so what's going on here? What can we learn? Why is Jesus, because you're like, this doesn't sound like Jesus. Like, why is he saying, hey, guy like cooked the books a little bit here and not Here's what Jesus is saying. He didn't commend him for doing that. He didn't commend him for losing his job. He commended him for the wisdom that he used going forward. He commended him because this guy looked at his situation and said, I need to figure something out to make sure that my family is in a good position going forward. It's interesting. It's a different one. So what can we learn from a crook if you will, about getting out of debt. The first thing when I look at this passage, the first thing I notice is that he, he looked to the, actually, yeah, he faced reality should be the first one. He, he faced reality. The first thing that he did was that he faced reality. He saw his situation was bleak. He's going to be unemployed. He's not going to have a job. And you and I need to do the same. When we look, we can't pretend that we don't have debt. You know, they say, you know, this is one of my, my wife got me this dad joke shirt. She told me I should wear it today. I didn't. I need to listen more. But denial is not a river in Egypt, okay? Ah, okay, okay. You'll figure out, you know, it just, it'll hit you. Denial, denial is not a good place to be. That's terrible. You know, I shouldn't do that stuff. 
Denial is a great place to consider, but if you live in denial, if I live in denial, what's that do us, right? You can pretend you don't owe 10,000 on your credit card. You can pretend you don't have 40,000 in student loans, but that's just crazy. The first thing this guy did is he faced the reality, and that's what you and I need to do too. What, is the, what are the facts on the ground? This goes for if you have debt, this also goes for if you don't. You need to face the reality of your current situation and be like, okay, I want to go off to school. I want to get a car. I want to get a house. And again, I know we can get in this fine line. I'll show our, our personal story in a few moments of investing and in, say education and investment, a house is investment. I don't, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of that because I think there's some wisdom there. I'm just saying at the end of the day, if you owe money, you're in debt. Now, it might be a wise decision to do, but if you can't pay it off, if you put yourself in a position that if one of you loses a job, if you're married or whatever the case might be, or if your health suffers, you see where I'm going? Like, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. The second thing that he did is, after he faced reality, he looked to the future. How many of us have dreams for the future, right? I'm guessing we all do. We want our life, we get one of these, we want our life to have meaning, we want our life to have significance, we want our life to have purpose. And so he looked to the future. He faced the reality, but then he looked to the future and said, I need to make decisions now. This is huge. I need to make decisions now. They're going to be, put me in a position that I can be where I want to be in the future. And that's the big thing about debt is you need to put yourself in a position now. You need to be making decisions now that can put yourself in a position in the future, not only to be out of the bondage of it, but to be so free and so able to bless others and make a difference in the lives of others. I came across this, this funny story. It said, before... Before going to Europe on business, a certain man drove his Bentley to a downtown New York City bank and went in to ask for an immediate loan of $5,000. The loan officer, taken aback, requested collateral, to which the man replied, well then, here are the keys to my Bentley. The loan officer promptly had the car driven into the bank's underground parking for safekeeping and gave the man $5,000. Two weeks later, the man walked through the bank's doors and asked to settle up his loan and get his car back. That would be $5,000 in principal and $15.40 in interest, the loan officer said. The man wrote out the check, got up, and started to walk out, away, walk out the door. Wait, sir, the loan officer said. He said, you know, while you were gone, I did a little research on you, and I found out that you're a multi-millionaire. Why in the world would you need to borrow $5,000? The man smiled, and he said, where else could I safely park my Bentley in Manhattan for two weeks for only $15.40? <laughs> Good plan, right? He developed the plan. This guy thought about the future. He planned accordingly. And the third thing is then he had a plan. And you and I do too. I want to try that someday. I don't know if that'll work or not. My Bentley, you know. Um, he had a plan. What's your plan? You know, Dave Ramsey, who's probably one of the gurus when it comes to this, talks about the debt snowball. He said, you just got to start somewhere. And if you don't worry about interest rates or whatever, um, just, just tackle the first one. If you have one in $500, and if, even if it's a 1% interest, go after that. Because if you, if you tackle one, and, and I'll share our story in a second, if you tackle one, you get momentum. And when you start getting momentum, just weird things are happening here. We might want to turn that off. <laughs> when you get momentum, I'll give you a second. To, there we go. When you get momentum then you'll go forward, right? And when you feel defeated, when you always feel defeated, right? You don't start or you stop really quick. And so he faced reality, he looked to the future, he developed a plan, 
And then he took quick action. That's what we can learn from this guy. If you notice, right? He faced the reality of a situation. He looked at the future and said, I, wanna, I have a preferred future I have in mind. I developed, he developed a plan. And then he just didn't wait around. Because you know, if it's, it's not really a, it's still a plan until you take action. You have to take action. And so again, I don't know your situation today. Uh, and that's not the important part, but I'm guessing that there's some of us in this room that have some debt, or maybe some of us who just, it, that, that's the thing we worry about. I mean, it's stressing us out. It's creating a lot of anxiety. Uh, some of us are looking at some future things and saying, can I afford this? Should I make this decision? Should I not? So when Jess and I got married, um, you know, the two will become one, right? And that's a good thing, but you also become one when it comes to debt. And I was actually the one who contributed a lot, most of that. We had about 75,000 in student loans, okay? And I was a good a high percentage of that, okay? Now we had five degrees between the two of us, which you could say, well, that's not too bad. Doesn't matter. If you're one degree or five degree, you, you, that's debt. <laughs> they didn't like give us a bonus. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have some extra, you know, education. We'll reduce it. And so we, and then, and then the other thing, it hit me first service, I forgot about this because you clear out the bad things or try to. We actually had two mortgages um, because my house a week before we got married um, fell through and uh, that I was living in, in Ohio and we were living in Michigan. So isn't that wonderful? You have, you have student loan and then you have two mortgages. So we, um, we did that thing that no one likes to do. We created a budget. Oh, it's such a bad word, isn't it? Okay. So we created a budget and we, and we just, we, we started talking. Of course, we came into this marriage determined that we were going to, as best as we could, seek him first. That God was going to be the major rock. And we had already spent a lot of time, and even in premarital counseling, talking about money and finances. And, and that's because you've better, you should get on the same page with that stuff or try to. And um, that was something we said, we don't want to be burdened by debt. We want to be able to be generous. We want to be able to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to be able to, to honor God with what he's given us. And yes, and again, you get in that fine line, you know, yes, that was some investment into our future with education, but at the same time, right, it was saddling us. And so, um, so that's what we did. We, we did without having the four steps that I just mentioned from this, we just kind of intuitively or probably through God's wisdom, we then put a plan together. We faced a reality. We knew we wanted to go in the future. We put a plan and uh, it's amazing what happens. Some of you could attest to how how incredible. If you get focused on it and you got to make some changes, you're not eating out as much. Um, you're, you know, I, I'm a big sports guy. We live near Detroit. So I was still going to the Tigers games, but I'm going to sit up there and touch the airplanes versus being down too far. So you're getting the $8 ticket versus the 80. I mean, you still got to have some fun in that, but you got to make some adjustments, bottom line, right? And it's just how good God is. In, in five years, we paid it all off debt-free, five years, okay? We don't, obviously not in a profession that makes buku dollars, but we just stayed at it and we stayed at it and we stayed at it. But I want you to hear this. The one thing we never wavered on that whole time was paying God first. Scripture talks about the, the first, ten, actually God says this, not me. God says the first 10% is his. And that we're, if we don't give it back to him, we're stealing from him. His word's not mine. And so we always believed, and not, well, we just believed that's what God said. And so we, we kept doing, I'm telling, I'm just going to be straight up. There were times, not me, because Jess is a lot more holy than I am, but there were times that I'd be like, you know, you rationalize, like, I'll just give 5%, you know, 2%, you know, and like, God doesn't like debt either. So once we get out of this, 
then we'll be more generous, right? Yeah, yeah, some of you, I see some, you know, we, we've been on the same boat together, apparently. And, and so, but we didn't. We just said, you know what? I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to seek him first. I'm going to believe that what he says is true and who he says he is, is who he is. And what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And we just stayed faithful. That first 10 and, and then above and beyond was just kind of how we lived of giving to him. And I always tell people God's economy is different than the regular economy. God's economy doesn't go in recessions. And, and living off the 90 is like living off the 120 something. I mean, it's just, I don't understand. He's God and I'm not, and I don't try to. But when you and I are obedient to him, he does the miraculous. There'd be times, I, I mean, it's not like all of a sudden that God just put money in the account, but it sure seemed like that sometimes. <laughs> like he just provided, he provided, he provided as we honored him with returning back to him what was his. Because here's the deal and I'm not going to get into that tithing message, that's for a few weeks, but sometimes we get twisted over that God says, you know, the first 10% back to him. Well, how far did Jesus go for you and me? Did he go 10%? Did he go 20%? Did he go 30 No, he went all in, 100%. And so I have always felt like God doesn't need my money, obviously, but the least I can do to respond in obedience is to return the bare minimum he requires back to him as, a, as an act of service, as an act of gratitude. And so as we, I was praying a lot. I have a different ending that I did first service, but I'm not going to do it. So I don't think we need any more slides. But um, I was just praying a lot during the worship today. And, and I want you to, to tackle this financial debt. And, and, and I, as, again, as, as a pastor, I, I want you to experience everything God wants. And, and I want you to get out of that bondage financially. But as I was praying today, I just felt like that last song, Make Room, really spoke to me. Man, just make room. And God was saying, Mark, you need to make room today. And I started wrestling with him. I was just sitting over there. I started wrestling. God, I, I, I've been working on this sermon a lot. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, I like where it ends. Like, I like where, he's like, you need to make room. You need to scrap that. And you need to, to open up some things today. You know, yesterday I was nudged about, you know, Debt. debt. Debt is a um, financial issue, but in Scripture, it's, it's also a spiritual issue. Scripture talks about that we're in debt. Our sin causes us to be in debt to a perfect and holy God. And the only way that you and I are made right, the, only, the debt has already been paid. It's really good news. The debt of sin has already been paid. I'm going to say that again, church. The debt of sin has already been paid when Jesus walked up that hill to Calvary and died a death that you and I deserved because we were the ones in debt. He was not. He paid the debt. <laughs> he paid the debt so that you and I could be free from sin. We could, be, we could become whole. We could become complete. And so as we were singing that last song, I just felt, or as we were singing that song earlier, Make Room, I just felt that God said today we're just to make room in these last 10 minutes or so. And I don't even know if it deals with anything financial. I don't think it does, actually. Maybe for a few of you. I don't think it, I think it deals with something spiritual. I think there's folk, I think there's some of us in this room today that we are living in spiritual bondage. Um, in some cases, we have never, never realized that we don't have to carry that debt of sin any longer. And that today you could be free once and for all by accepting Jesus' death on the cross as the atonement 
Whereas the payment for the sin and the death, physical and spiritual and eternal, that you and I deserve. I think maybe there's others in the room today. We just need to make space. We need to make room. We need to make room to go back to pursuing him. Somewhere along the way, we, we started maybe chasing material things. We started chasing uh, corporate ladders. We started chasing um, comfort and security. I don't know what it is for you. But we stopped seeking after him. I also think there's some of us here today that we've been really hurt. We've been really wounded. Um, maybe it's something someone else did to us. Maybe it's because of the fallen world we live in. Maybe it's even some of your own decisions. But today, he just wants to meet you. He, he just wants to meet you if you'll give him space to do that. And so, like I said, I'm scrapping this. I think we need a time to respond. I'm going to pray in a moment. The band's going to come up and they're just going to lead us in that song, Make Room. And I, I don't have any instructions because I, I didn't give me any other than to say, just do it. I don't know if you need to come up and pray at the prayer stations or kneel at your seat or if you need to take, do, light a can. I don't, I don't even, I think, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I just said, God, I, I just sense you're supposed to do this. I fought it because I'm a planned guy and I, he's kind of interrupting my plans. And then he convicts me and says, I have full permission to do that anytime I so desire. And today's a day that I think our plan, I think our plans need interrupted today. And I, I, I truly believe that there's some people here today that need to make a first time decision for Jesus. And I also think there's some people here today that need to finally let the healer the one who paid your spiritual debt, I think you need to let him heal you. Maybe it's physically, but I get the sense, I get the sense that it's emotionally for some of you. I think, I get the sense that it's, it's, it's deep. Does that make sense? It's just, it's somewhere deep in there. And, and in, today, God wants to set you free. It's good news. He wants to set you free. And so I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Um, I got the sense earlier, God doesn't speak to me. I mean, he speaks to me all the time. I don't listen always that well, but I think he wants to heal someone of something with their teeth today. I got that, I don't know, lower teeth maybe. And we don't make it weird. I'm not coming up. You're not going to stand up here and I'm not going to hit your head or anything. Uh, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that if that's you, just a nudge I got, I, I kept thinking it was my own thoughts or bad pizza last night, but I, I, I think it was him. And so here's what I'm just going to pray. I'm going I'm to be quiet soon. I'm gonna just going to pray. And they're just going to come up and lead us in this song. And I'm going to pray for that healing. I'm also just going to pray that whatever he wants to do, would you just do this for him? Whatever you do, just say, God, whatever you want to do today, I give you permission to do it. Let's pray. Father, I, I I, I'm just glad you speak to us. You, you, we matter so much that you're willing to, to nudge me and make me uncomfortable and flip some plans I had for plans that are going to potentially change lives. God, I pray for, if there's anyone here, maybe you're watching, maybe you're in this space, but if you have been, if it's a, a thing, just that lower tooth or lower, some teeth in the lower front is kind of the image I keep getting. I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, would you just heal them? 
God, would you just, if it's, if it's a cavity, if it's a nerve issue, if it's an alignment issue, I don't know, but you know. God, would you just heal them? You're, you're not done healing. You haven't stopped healing. You heal through medicine and you heal supernaturally. And I think in this case, we're just God asking, would you just heal supernaturally? Would you just, <laughs> just come in this place and your spirit and make us probably a little bit anxious or a little, <laughs> a little uneasy because we might lose some control, but you just come in and you just do that. Would you heal that right now? And Father, I just pray right now, you would just open it up. Open our hearts up, open our minds up. Push out our plans this afternoon and would we just be present for these next few moments. Come Holy Spirit, come fill this place. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend. Because changed lives, changed lives.